This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Hey everybody, quick note before Sam, Patrick, and I jump onto a hosts-only episode today. As the summer winds down, we are making a strategic plan to cover all the right topics over the next 6 to 12 months, and we want to hear from you. So please head over to our website, champagneprobspodcast.com, and fill out the contact us form to submit. In addition to incorporating these topics, we will be doing a random drawing from all submissions, and the winner will be announced over the next two months. The winner will receive a $100 Amazon gift card. We look forward to hearing all of your ideas. So we got a little special episode today. We're doing... uh Three hosts, face-to-face, no guest. I think we're going to talk about podcasts. Heck yeah. Maybe, yeah. Not, maybe not in general, but our podcast. And you guys. And us. I have deep questions for Us you. and our podcast. Mostly you. I, was... I want to talk mostly about you. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot seats. to unpack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we are. Towards you. How's your personal life? <laughs> we're over a year into Champagne Problems podcast. Did we think we would go this long? Did we think we'd be where we are? Did we think anything? <laughs> yeah, no, we, I think we need to give some context to this because um, a lot of the listeners probably don't know our original intention of the f- like eight yeah. epi- episode pod just to get the you know information that we wanted to get out there and how that yeah. kind of unfolded into where we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I think initially, I mean, obviously there's always kind of fantasy thinking like ooh, what if it catches on and what do we do if it does i mean i certainly had that those ideas but that wasn't in the initial plan <laughs> just wanted to be famous just yeah get recognized number one goal are, was, are you uh, robbie shaw gain popularity That's <laughs> number one. Oh my god it's robbie shaw, it's robbie shaw. <laughs> but our plan or our our structure early was to you know put out what do we do? Like three and three? Yeah. Like pot? What do we call them? Pods? No, we yeah. didn't call them pods. No, it was Something four. Like that, yeah. It was four and four. Four right? and four. That's, that's what. Right. I, that's all I thought we were gonna do. Yeah. I was like, for sure, I can do like. <laughs> yeah, eight that, that's what you episode. thought. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I had no idea. I'd still be doing yeah. this. Yeah, it, it's nuts because I really maybe my dreams are not big enough. I didn't think that it would get to this point, which is really really cool. Like I, I was like oh, like we all share this mission and we really all believe in getting some of this information out there. It's conversations we have amongst ourselves anyway, but I don't know that I knew that other people would care enough to listen to what I had to say or um, we collectively had to say. And maybe we haven't even given context around that. The reason it's important, like we're all in studio together today because I moved to Charleston shortly after we started this. Yeah, to get away from the I was like, I'm all done here. They're sucking me Um, in. And that maybe listeners don't even know that. And so that kind of shifted some of the dynamic even. There was a little bit of like grief and loss about Mm -hmm. just not being in the same room as you guys recording. It's definitely a different dynamic being on a little mobile screen with you guys in studio and trying to figure out like how do we incorporate a guest and and how do we do all that. So it's just, it's nice when we're together. It's different. we We figured it out. We had to figure it out because... It's what the people wanted, <laughs> you know? We had no choice in the matter. When was the last time we were all together? Was it in Charles? Christmas? No, I think we, maybe April. Didn't we do one in April together? 
Didn't didn't you come up? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so there's a context around why we're excited to be in studio together because maybe it's just once a quarter that we actually get to see each other in person and record. And that was a part of the podcast I also had not anticipated. I really thought when I moved that that was just going to be kind of like mm, Patrick and Robbie are going to continue with it. And if I can make it up to Charlotte, maybe I'll be on those episodes like as a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like I'm glad that we were able to work that out and that you guys were patient enough to figure out how we could You're make welcome. that happen and we still be on there yeah well big things to come wait what are they uh, well yeah, what are us. they tell us <laughs> tell what us, are the Robbie, dreams we're, we're, what are our yeah. collective dreams we are planning on going bigger and better and I think we're going to start doing some more or not more some video Everyone's been like, we really want to see Robbie's face more. Uh-huh. Right. The Who smile. They're Robbie like, Shaw. we can hear the smile. That's we need to see smile. it. Uh, <laughs> we want to see, we, see or, the panic. Or we can yes. hear the panic. We want to see the panic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think initially it's it's video and, and other ways to expand the delivery of our message because I think podcast, while it does or has the capability to reach probably the most people, there are still people that don't listen to podcasts. Right. <laughs> and there's a good population out there that potentially could, you know, benefit and, and, and enjoy this, this content, uh, in another medium. And I personally, ultimately want to expand all of our content, all of our original, you know, conversations and, and exploration with different people into, I mean, a book and, you know, maybe a documentary, like I got big, big yeah. dreams. Well, I that's mean, where this started, yeah. right? We've got a lot here. Yeah. The, with yeah. the book. It did. It did. And then it makes a lot of sense to do it this way, <laughs> to, to gather the content and then write a book as opposed to write a book with nothing. Right. Which is what, how I started. <laughs> uh, hence not being able to do it. So yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the plan, listeners. Hope you, been, hope you stay tuned in because we got a lot more coming. I've been thinking about writing more recently. I said that to Chris the other day walking on the um, beach. I was like, I feel like, <laughs> well, Patrick my, words, write a book? my <laughs> words were <laughs> like, to make to real money, I probably need to write a book at some point. Yeah, right. That's, those were my exact words, if I'm honest. But I don't know. Maybe us. it was the Anna David episode that inspired me, but I, I don't know. I, yeah. I've been thinking more about long form yeah. storytelling. Your own story yeah. or just No, stories? I don't know. I mean, but partially, maybe, mm-hmm. but with some other stuff sprinkled in there. I, I have no idea. I'd yeah. read it. Yeah, you would? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'd skim through it. <laughs> you get the highlights from say, someone else. Say you read it. <laughs> yeah. I do think that that's one thing that I feel gets lost sometimes is we get really excited about the guests that we have on and even the, the way that we prepare for episodes and kind of write up different thoughts that we want to pick their brain about and everything. Like we, I forget sometimes that we're experts in this. Like I know that we can hold the conversation with them, but sometimes I forget that we each have. We totally know we different. know shit too. Yeah, like yeah. Patrick. We hates don't the word always expert, need a but... guest on here, you know. But you hate the word guest expert. Yeah. Why? Because I think it's bullshit. <laughs> oh my god! Please say more. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it implies a healthy level of knowledge that I'm not sure I actually have. So uh, I don't I mean, like being considered an expert. Oh, really? I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, Sam. Yeah. You are. You are an expert. I think I'm an expert. I, I don't know. It takes away the essence of humility. I don't really know how to articulate this, but any time that that I hear the word expert, I feel like it's almost like a, a 
not a closed chapter, but it's mm-hmm. like I have everything that I need to know. And yeah. I know that that's probably not an accurate way to look at that in terms of, yeah. of people that label themselves experts or say that they're experts. Cause like I'm, me. Yeah, like you. Yeah. I see it as I like have nothing left to learn. <laughs> I can teach everyone now because I know pretty much everything there is to know. Yeah. I guess I've always seen it as like it's an area of expertise and therefore that's what I'm an expert in. Like because that's my area of expertise, not necessarily. Well, because I don't. I'm I think done. that's an inaccurate. Then, then, then I, then I think that's an inappropriate word for what you just described. What would you call me? Be nice. Well, no, no, no. You no, have an area you, of expertise. Uh, okay, no, it. it's like an area but of focus, or an area an of study, expert. or an area of practice. I mean, I think yeah. that that's a healthier way to frame it. What if you were like, I'm a student of. There you go. Well, and, and I mean, I understand it from like a marketing perspective. Yeah. Sure. Because, like, why would people pay me money to come to me for that if I was, like... I know a little. But I think it's it's limiting. No, I know. You know? I know what you I mean. mean yeah. Especially in our field with how much things are changing and growing and how fast-paced technology is and how yeah. we're collecting more data yeah. and the science is evolving. We're starting to really figure out how complex addiction and mental health can be. Yeah, that's um, fair. I, I think it's unwise to approach it from that level yeah well i have to add my little two cents before we transition because my mind on the word expert i get insecure about it when i because i would consider certain people experts like the anna limkes like the lisa demores like the people with actual phds who teach the topic and for me to call me an expert in a similar area or the same area as they are gotcha nope yeah yeah i agree Right. I it, is, it is ever changing. I mean, I think for me, certainly my clinical practice has changed over the past year, just since we've been doing this. And I thought my clinical practice would help inform this. <laughs> Little did you know, Sam. Little did I know. Like, yeah. this is it's what really... happens when you hang out with me and Rob. <laughs> I just get so much smart. I become more of an yeah. expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My expertise grows. I par- What a paradox. Mine's changed a lot because of the podcast, and I thought it would be the other way around. So curious for y'all, any evolution of clinical approach, practice, anything you do differently that you can directly tie to the podcast? I mean, first thing to my mind is the spectrum, the spectrum mm-hmm. idea. While that might have been kind of back of mind or at least some somewhat commonsensical before the podcast, now it just makes a ton of sense based on all the people we have talked to and not just the experts but the personal experiences you just you soak all that stuff in and it's like you know it's not black and white man (laughs) it is we use that as a frame of reference when most people these days don't think of it as black and white as they may have used to it's very categorical and and i and while there's a there's a value to that i do think there is a lot of gray area Mm -hmm. hence 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 our podcast yeah Yeah. if anything the podcast has given me an opportunity to solidify some of my beliefs around that you know, I operated like this in the clinical space, probably prior to this, a little bit more than most. You were just way ahead yeah. of us. Yeah, Simple. right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like I do take more of a harm reduction approach yeah. to things than most people because I'm not yeah. like classically clinically trained as a social worker mm-hmm. or as a psychologist that's, you know, getting, I mean, even like I- I'm taking a class right now on <laughs> drug and alcohol counseling yeah. and you know, we're reading literature from 10 years ago yep. and yep. it's inaccurate and it's not up with clinical terms and where we're at yeah. in, 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 as a field. And 
it worries me that this is the stuff that these entry-level clinicians are being taught Mm -hmm. and they're not where we need to be. And it it sucks for the field to kind of know that. Now, I know that there's some, you know, spaces in academia where they are, you know, more progressive but I, you know, I, but I see it in the field that we're working in now, just with the people that I interact with sometimes that, you know, use terms that are outdated or could produce stigma and just the language. And well, it's so telling in the sense that, you know, as clinicians, as people that work in this side of the, the, the deal, we're, we're constantly saying what's not working. You know, why, why is there still so much mm-hmm. addiction and, and why is there so much relapse and why is there, you know, all these things? And it's like, well, I mean, we could probably look at the academia, <laughs> you know, that We're would be a good taught. place to start. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the that's kind of one of the things that I've seen change over the last, you know, five, 10 years in the clinical field is shifting more of the burden of focus on the clinician and the and the system and mm-hmm. not the patient. Yeah. So, well, if you don't want to get better, never going to get better. Right. So, yeah, you you got to want it. Got to want it. Got to right. want it. Got to hit rock bottom. Got to want it. Right. Which, how does that work? For you know, a great what, a, what a great cop out for somebody that's supposed to be helping. Yeah. Right. You know, this person doesn't want help. Right. You know? So, you know, easy my hands to, are easy for me. Easy for me to say. Ooh, you know? I think that's a good topic. Mm-hmm. The and, and I've heard you say it lots, specifically in the recent episode with Alice, where you know, what is the, the intervention? What is oh, the, yeah. the consequence? What is the, the lower level, not rock bottom right. event experience, wake up call that makes you make changes. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that is something we explore just about every other episode where it's, uh, that's the gray area space. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. the far end of the spectrum. It's, well, how do you make changes when you don't have to? I want to create a term for the opposite of rock bottom. Like, what is something that's so beautiful that Rock top. inspired you to make changes? Mountain top. <laughs> I rock top. God, I love being here with y'all. God damn. <laughs> like, How do we get you to rock top? Come on. <laughs> Just like the most inspirational. Now, like, you I want you to flip I don't it. want to hear about your rock bottom. Let's talk about your rock top. I want you to flip That's it. what we're going to do. Flip it. That's where we're going to get you. <laughs> it's because it's not always something bad. That inspire someone to make changes. Ooh, and yeah. with alcohol or drugs, that seems to be the take that like something so bad has to happen that you're scared into change or you're whatever. Yeah. What about the people who say, I had COVID for two weeks and I just didn't drink and because I didn't feel well enough to drink. And then I realized that these things were feeling good. And that was the catalyst to me making changes with my drinking or I was on this medication and I couldn't drink, whatever. But like, why can't it be something positive? And so I don't mm. know what the term is, but once I create it, you better call it mine. Yeah. We will. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, <laughs> it belongs in our field now because we're treating we, us three, I don't mm-hmm. know how many other people are doing it, but we're treating more of the kind of middle of the spectrum and there has to be new development because I know for me over the course of the past year, I've grown a lot more confidence in treating someone that's gray area and knowing like deep down that they are gray area because for a while I had this like, I'm going to treat it like it's gray area and like hope this goes well. Try but to in convince the, them that they're an alcoholic. Well, but no, just consider that they could be strongly yeah. in the back of my <laughs> mind. <laughs> like be, I'm like ready with a card under the table in yeah. case. Yeah, I'm, but we'll give them but a it chance. Sucks, but, but, that's, yeah. but that's yeah. how like our treatment system is set up. It's like, let's right. take this, all right, this, this middle, this gray area person here 
needs help, but the only way we can help them is if we convince them that they have a worse problem. That they need abstinence and AA. Yeah. And like, what if they don't? Yeah. And so I've gotten a lot more confident in treating that client that I'm confident is gray area, that as they pull back on their drinking, they see a lot of things and substituting different types of strategies as they plateau with pulling back. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have that confidence until a lot of the conversations that we were having and now I've gotten a lot more of those clients, and so I've had a lot more practice with it. But it's really cool to see like, that they also are so much more open about their drinking because there's not the risk that I'm going to be like, you know, you know what you need. You just crossed yeah. over into <laughs> well, well, he mentioned his drinking. I like to think about it as over half of our population drinks. Uh, you know, obviously, we got, the, we got the 10% that are problematic, but all, the other 40%, have at some point in their drinking career had a string of shitty nights. Right. Oopsies. You know, blackout or two, maybe. What'd you, what'd you call them? Oopsies. Oopsies. <laughs> you know, maybe a, maybe, a, maybe a semester in college. And, you know, during that time, if they went and talked to somebody. Yeah. It, it's Ooh, not abstinence disorder. and you need to go to AA. Like mm-hmm. uh, most of the people figured out that they can't do what they were doing and they don't want to do what they were doing. And that's kind of the natural progression of right. how we live and learn. And so we have to, we have to know that going into some, not everybody is going to be a rock bottom alcoholic or whatever we want to call it. It's just, we got to yeah. give everybody a little bit of a benefit. I think the general consensus was and maybe still is for a lot of practitioners that if someone can't successfully make changes on their own and they need support to do it, then they are an alcoholic. Like they have crossed over into substance use disorder. Severe. That's crazy. And that, what other behavior do we do that None. with? Like None. if you were like, I can't stop picking Eating my cake. nails. Yeah. And so I need some accountability around it. You'd be like, sick, here's some accountability around it. You wouldn't be like, you are a nail picker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we're going to call you by that instead of someone who picks right. their nails. Put a little title over your head. Never going to reach rock top that way. <laughs> <laughs> we need you to flip it. Please don't make that stick. That's, a, not, oh, a, that's not it. It is stuck. That's not the term. If it was that simple, I would be using that already. And you got to say it like that. Rack tap. Rack tap. You know, we've had this conversation with a lot of people over the last year on the podcast about what it looks like to take a you know, 30 day break. It's mm-hmm. almost like an experiment. I think that's such a, a more progressive idea. Yeah. And I kind of look at this through my own experience with like smoking. Mm-hmm. Like I, I started smoking cigarettes when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Nine. All I knew, you know, was the feel like, cause I smoked so much. Yeah. It was like, it was so common to feel the way that I felt when I had nicotine in my body constantly. Right. You know, there was never a time until I quit, you know, when I was 29, where I actually experienced my emotional states without nicotine being involved mm-hmm. in it. And when I did that, for me, it was like I realized immediately how much of an anxiety suppressant nicotine was. Because I had it all the time, I never noticed it. Right. Yeah, your base level. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and if you look at that in terms of alcohol, if you have somebody that, you know, drinks five, six, seven drinks every night or somebody in a, in a gray area where it's normalized and it's part of their daily routine, it, most of the people that we're talking to or that we're dealing with or people that are even listening to our podcast have been doing that for so long. Mm-hmm. And it's been, quote, unquote, okay. Right. 
that they've never given themselves the chance to take that 30-day break or that, you know, 60-day break to where they could actually see the benefits of removing it. Or, yeah. Like when know. someone says to me, like, I know it's not affecting X, Y, and Z, I'm like, you don't because yeah. you can't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not arguing that it's affecting everything badly. I'm just, you don't know. But I, I, think, I think that, fa- I mean, if we can frame it in that way and mm-hmm. people can understand that, I mean, I just I think it's such a healthier way of motivating people, and it's, it's just like any type of you know new behavior or anything that I ask a client to do, or even you know this goes for like sponsorship too, and twelve mm-hmm. step stuff when I was like earlier in my recovery. It, it's very hard for me to tell somebody to do something if I can't explain to them prior to that why they're doing it and why it works. Yeah. Well, it probably applies to even parenting, right? Yeah. Like, can't just be like, don't do that. Right. Yeah. Well, well, it's motivation by reward as opposed to motivation by fear. Mm. And again, Sam, you've, you've touched on a lot of these things before. You were talking about having, you know, a beer with your husband or something, and it was very much about not needing to feel better. Mm just wanting to enjoy a situation Mm -hmm. that comes from a a healthy homeostasis Mm -hmm. that you're in. Yeah. Whereas it's not habitual point. It's to, to Patrick's point, most people, or at least people who drink somewhat consistently is homeostasis is a little, it's life is not as good. It's not as fun. Experiences aren't as fun without a beer or 12. That's where we're coming from is it's some people need it. And then there's people who want it to the point of what we're talking about. Like some of my practice has changed where I try to motivate my clients more from a holistic place where let's paint the picture of happiness and, and mm-hmm. rewards and enjoyment as opposed to this is going to get bad. This is going to progress. This nah. is going to really fucking Not to me. ruin Not me. your life. Not me. What do you mean? So that's always the response, right? Or that's oh, the, right, the general right, right. attitude is like, uh, yeah, yeah. Nah. But you can latch on to, well, here's what it could look like positively. I think I've even changed like my understanding of being present. Like we hear that all the time. Like I want to be more present with my kids. I want to be more present. And like, what does that actually mean? I think you don't know what your level or your capacity for presence is until you remove things that are psychoactive. Like Mm -hmm. you just don't know what you're capable of until that goes away. And I think the one thing that I've been really careful of too, and I, I try to be careful with it on the podcast and I'm really careful with it in clinical practice is making sure that as we're discussing all of the things that come with gray area drinking and pulling back, that it is not my agenda for everyone to be sober. And that I think gets missed a lot because it, I, I'm so familiar with so many other tactics that are used in our field that feel like this is a hook in so that at the end of the day, you're still going to tell me that I have to stop drinking and I have to stop drinking permanently. Mm -hmm. And that's an agenda. And I have to be really careful and like explain that that's not at all where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to help you be in whatever kind of relationship you want with alcohol. And even with the podcast, sometimes when I f- tell people about it, I'm like, it's not about sobriety. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not, I do too. it's not, we're not preaching, you know, because I think even you can listen to it. And if you still have that little edge of resistance or you have that experience of that tactic being used, you, you do still get that like little whatever inside that's like gets a little dug in. And I think when the conversation can be wide open about like, hey, just what do you want it to look like? And it can look like that. And I've had clients say, I don't want to take 30 days off. What are my other options? And I don't go, well, that's your only option, buddy. Like, 
I look at what are the other things that could help get you to a place that gets you closer to your goals. And then we work on that. And I think that's so unfamiliar. One of the things that I run into so much, I supervise other clinicians and they look terrified when they have a gray area drinker because they, they know what to do with people who drink quote unquote normally. And they know what to do with people who need treatment and they have no idea what to do with someone who wants to pull back and is drinking too much, like health wise. They're kind of like, I don't have a, but th- to that, your point, that's the with academia. With like diagnostics. It's right. like, you know, it has to fit in a box. Right. Yeah. And people don't fit in boxes. Right. And, and that's why, you know, we're starting to move towards a more patient centered, yeah. individualistic approach to treating this spectrum. Right. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. And there's a huge relativity associated with it. Yeah. We don't live in a perfect world. Mm-hmm. We don't exist in a world where there isn't abuse and trauma and stress and manipulative marketing and you know all these things that are kind of working against us. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people that just don't necessarily want to live life perfectly. Right. <laughs> right? right? I mean just completely healthy and doing everything right. That's where we set expectations that create shame, right? right? Cause some people just don't want to live that way. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. Like we don't want them to live, you know, on the extreme opposite end either, but we have to, we have to, it's individualized, it's right? Individualized. We got to meet it's people where be. they are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's values based and that's always one of the first questions I always ask my clients values and, based. and, I, like I, and I, I always ask, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and if, and if you don't know, let's, let's figure, figure it out. out. Cause yeah. if we don't know what the hell you want, we're lost. We're just yeah. wandering around that's in, one a, thing, in a scary ass place. That is one no. thing I've really honed in on like in the past, probably like three months is that the goal can't be about alcohol. So if you come to me and you say, hey, I'm drinking too much, I want to pull back, we're setting a goal. It will not be about alcohol. Because yeah, well, as, long as, about, as long as it's about alcohol, your mindset can shift and rationalize and do a whole bunch of dances around making that still be the focus. And I don't want you focused on alcohol. It sounds like it's already taking up too much space in your life. I want you focused on what you want. And then let's figure out how does alcohol fit or not fit with that. And Mm -hmm. that's been, for people coming in, they're just expecting me to be like, all right, well, how many per week and how many per day? And that's only going to get us so far. Let me just put that into the algorithm real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when when I did kind of do that with clients, I just found that they plateaued because Mm -hmm. it does, it only gets them so far. They can pull back so far and then they're like, yeah, I think it's in normal range now. Like, I think we're good. And there wasn't that other thing that was helping them get to their rock top <laughs> i'm starting not to like that term see now that we're using the voice so when we work with clients how to establish what you want and if they don't know how to get there and all that kind of stuff give some examples about you know what you would try to help a client reach well if they can't if they can't answer that question in, in broad terms if they're not, if they don't have the ability to articulate it, like, oh, I want my life to look like X, mm-hmm. I usually try to break it down into different dimensions. Yeah. What do you want your family life to look like? What do you want your romantic relationships to look like? What do you want your career to look like? Mm-hmm. What do you want your relationship to yourself and your physical health yeah, to like, look like? What are your values? Yeah. What target do we want to aim at? Right. And if they can't articulate that, usually I let them kind of take the reins answering that. And then 
is we need to define it more and more as we go. I'll break it down into those different dimensions and then break those, you know, mm-hmm. certain family life down into, okay, what do you want your relationship with your daughter to look like? What do you want your relationship with your father to look like? I mean, right. and, and you do that in every dimension. I think um, like big picture, uh, they they can be big or small and they can be specific or or they can be vague, but I think generally like just to give some like really random examples of things that I've heard it it could be I want to be more present to my family life like sometimes when I'm just even going to the fridge to crack a beer I'm disconnecting I'm removing myself from the living room I'm those sorts of things so it can be really tangible like I I don't want to do that anymore Um, but it can also be things like I want alcohol to not be getting in the way of me and my wife Mm -hmm. it's creating conflict it's a third party that we don't need uh, that doesn't enhance or whatever. Most of the clients that I work with, there's the a commonality with like feeling stagnant, feeling mediocre, and feeling Bored. unfulfilled. Bored. Discontent. And sometimes it's not even as strong as discontent. It's just so like meh. And that is, I have found, where alcohol is playing in their life. Like yeah. that's a playground for alcohol. And when you remove alcohol that is kind of some unlocking but yeah so just family it could be career it could be I hear this a lot too I'm incredibly healthy on paper when you look at all of my behaviors right I drink a ton of water I wear my lulu and I go for a walk every morning and I like do all the things I eat a lot of green stuff um but I drink daily and that doesn't seem to fit and I want to do something with that so it can be a lot of different things. It matters what matters to people yeah. and focusing on that rather than the alcohol. It ten- When I look at those different dimensions, it tends to boil down to a few very specific relationships yeah. that aren't fulfilling or they're avoiding mm-hmm. in some capacity. And again, that use or any type of addictive behavior or self-medication, mm-hmm. self-medicators, we say sometimes, are feeling that. Yeah. void or that's temporary relieving some of the suffering that's being caused by either us avoiding a specific relationship or mm-hmm. settling for something yeah. in a relationship that is not okay with what we value. Right. Can I take a hard left? Yes, yeah, go. please. What has the podcast done for you personally outside of substance use? Two answers on my part. Initially, it created some stress in my life. I was going to say, is it made your anxiety worse? <laughs> uh, it absolutely oh, created God. stress, pressure, issues inside of my family. I mean, you know, my, my moods, like, yeah, of course, man. I mean, I started this thing, and there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I don't handle it very well all the time. Some people would probably argue I don't ever handle it well, but we're working through that stuff externally and more, you know, outside of my home and, and, and in the public eye, that has been, I don't even know how to describe the rewards I've received there. Um, and not just in compliments and that kind of thing, just people sharing how much their lives have changed. That is number one. I mean, that's our, that's our mission, that's right? The whole point. That's the whole yeah. point. And that's the whole point of everything that we three do in our lives is to help others lead better lives and be, you know, for lack of better terms, happier or whatever. But when people consistently share that, 
it just makes me walk around very happy. We are on to something, number one. We have done something right, number two. And there are a lot of people being affected by it. So holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been cool to see like old friends or acquaintances, people that I've known my whole life call me or I'll run into them and they're, hey, I'm listening to your podcast, man. It's awesome. Aww. You know, that, that's that been really cool. One of the best things for me personally was, and, and, and I think this is going to continue to grow, I hope, a friend of mine passed along the episode of, of, of my story from our podcast mm-hmm. on to another woman that started a nonprofit that um, is going and taking mental health initiatives into schools. And they had a two-day wellness event around mental health at Charlotte Latin. And I was, and she invited me to go share my story to the senior class of at Charlotte Latin a few months ago. And it was one of the most you know rewarding experiences that I've ever had in my life. And that was a direct result of them being able to hear my story on the podcast. Having the conversations with those kids that day, because I was there all day after I got to share, and just talking to them about the, the level of struggle you know, inside that population around substances and mental health that is unspoken, mm-hmm. you know, that needs a voice. It yeah. needs, you know, those our stories need to be told. And, you know, shame needs to be reduced and there needs to be an open forum for us to talk about this stuff. And, you know, age of first use is getting younger and younger. The yeah. substances are getting stronger, more dangerous, you know, easier to access. You know, one of the things like we were talking, mm-hmm. um, Robbie and I were talking about gambling. Kids are like doing online gambling. Mm-hmm. You know, the level of addiction from a process standpoint, like when we talk about Anna Lemke and dopamine and the phones and, right. you know, Porn. We're, we're, yeah, we're getting freaking just hit <laughs> yeah. from all angles. Right. Just to be able to talk about that yeah. in a non-shaming, non-judgmental way, which is exactly what we're trying to do with the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I think to be able to get that out at scale to yeah. the younger populations to at least have let them have that information that we tried to get out in those first eight episodes Mm -hmm. to be common knowledge across the board for every you know 13 to 17 year old kid i mean that's like what more could you ask for yeah i mean uh, yeah it's like that's that could totally change society right yeah yeah you know the ripple effects too you're not just affecting that kid's life but everyone around that kid and generationally, right? It's like it's creating some big... Yeah. All right, Sam, you're sad. I think selfishly, not as altruistic as Patrick, um, one of the things that's been really cool for me is like I've met people that I would fangirl over it, and I that I would never have had any contact with. And let me be clear, those are not my contacts. Like th- that is all you, Robbie, and getting all the connections. And um, Patrick, I guess you've gotten some. I'll give you a little bit of credit. <laughs> But it's, there's, like, what? Like, sometimes I'm like, we're interviewing this person today. I know. Like, that is so cool. Like, I'm, like, my... It's nuts. 15-year-old self who knew she wanted to be a therapist. And, like, I just could never have imagined that we would be talking to some of these people. And having them want to come on the podcast and share their stories and yeah. be able to touch the same people that we are. just It's really, really, really cool. And... Probably on the more personal side, I think I have felt less alone in not my current stage. Like I'm pretty comfortable with where I am now with my gray area drinking and just kind of owning it and knowing that there's not a lot of people in my circle that kind of operate the same way around alcohol and that's okay. 
there's a lot of validation, I think, for my like 20 year old self. There's a lot of folks that have reached out and said, oh my gosh, like I'm sending this to my daughter immediately. This is what she's described to me. And like, I don't get it, but like, this is exactly some of the things that she's been saying. And some of those people have become clients or, you know, being able to like just read messages on Instagram that are like, this has helped me so much. Like I'm in my fifties and like, I've never thought about my relationship with alcohol. And when I look back, so much of your story makes sense to me. And I think just that identification and the community around it has been really important because it was something that I just remember feeling like I was just a total weirdo. The way that I drank, the way I felt about drinking, the way I thought about drinking just was not shared by anyone I thought. And so once we put that out there, and I was willing, this is the only place that I've ever shared my like personal story with alcohol. Like my best friend called me and was like, I didn't know any of that was going on. <laughs> like we used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and have how many beers? And like, we, like I didn't know that you were struggling with that. During the day, that alcoholic Sam. Yeah. And she was like, I just had no idea. Like I thought you just weren't really a big drinker. And so I think even at this age and at this point, even as being an expert, cause that's what I am, Patrick, <laughs> to feel that sense of validation around like this is normal and this should be talked about. And there are more people than just me who maybe have this type of relationship with alcohol has been really interesting. And then I've observed my relationship with alcohol was even more of a microscope since we started the podcast. Cause now I'm just like analyzing myself, which is not, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> And as a result, have actually drank less and less because when I get even more intentional about it or I pay more attention, it's just rarely worth it to me. That's been cool too of just finding all the ways that I maybe still make mistakes or I still get into like old traps and things and go like, what happened there? And then for working with my clients, that also helps me go, hey, it's not meant to be perfect. Like you don't have to beat yourself up because week two, you didn't pull back as much as you thought you would. Like this is going to be slippery for a while. Yeah. Just help kind of validate that. But yeah, the sense of community, I think has been huge. And knowing that you are helping your direct community and having people listen to it that I never thought would even like care what I had to say that sounds mm -hmm. really victim-y, but like, really, I just didn't think that they would care what I had to say or cared about kind of this field. You're an expert though. Yeah. <laughs> a really people, big deal. People care. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't say that there aren't still people that I want to like send it to and be like, you need to listen to this. <laughs> we talked about this on our episode with Carl Fisher about the ambiguity around our definitions of addiction and right. substance use yeah. and... <clears throat> We do not have this shit figured out. Let's no. figure it out. We're we Why are. can't we? We're experts. We're figuring it out. <laughs> Who are your favorite guests? Ooh. Oh, God. Did you not hear my audio note this morning? I'm terrible with names and faces and stories. All right. We'll just describe them and we'll, we'll come up with the name. Dr. Judson Brewer is still one of my favorite episodes. He was I so just, good. Maybe I just fangirled way too hard at like <laughs> all of the content of that episode, but yeah. Like rereading his book and it's all like highlighted and I'm using it. Nice. Um, with clients and different. Yeah, he's verbiage. an expert. <laughs> yeah, he's an expert. Patrick, who's your favorite guest? Good. It's hard to do that because I don't want to yeah. throw anybody. I under really the don't. Bus. I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think on I who like what, who like I wanted to talk to mm -hmm. more because there's been several that I was like. We we could yeah. have this conversation could go on for another two uh, two and a half hours. Yeah, well, Lemke was definitely one of those. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it's hard not to be focused on more recent guests because they're just f- yeah. fresher. Um, so I'll do a, a more recent guest I've, re- I've really enjoyed, and this is probably personal, but Lisa Damore. Yeah. I just love her demeanor. I love the way she talks. I love how she uses examples and, and analogies to educate uh, and makes it very understandable. And, of course, it's about parenting, which is I am in the thick of it. Yeah. So that was um, super valuable for me to hear, plus very enjoyable. And maybe going back, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, there's there's some that were fun, and yeah. then there's some that were, like, super informative. Right. And, and if I were to go in the fun arena, I, uh, you know, Edwin was great. He was, yeah. he was yeah. fun that to was listen to, one. just roll. Uh, I really like Steve Palmer. Uh, I enjoyed his shares. Um, you know, his story is is just so brutal, and it was very engaging to listen to him talk. And then, of course, you know, some of the athletes, Gabby Reese and Kerry Walsh, they were very inspiring. Yeah. Do you guys send any of your hour episodes to clients when you're working with them? Occasionally, if I really think that it's that it's going to be appropriate, yeah. I will. I will say. Usually, you know, sometimes I like to reference, you know, reading materials mm-hmm. more or, or specific YouTube videos for certain things. Yeah. Um, Every I, client we've ever shared, by the way, is like, he makes me read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 he made me read this. <laughs> they never do it. And they never yeah. do. So let's think of going forward if we were to go bigger, grander, better, if we could get anybody we wanted. Who would be your dream guest? I got a couple. You know, yeah, I, I, do. I want I, I want to get Russell Brand on. Yeah, that was point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to get Gabor Mate on. Um, nice. To talk about trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that would be cool, and I, I you know, I think we'll, we could get both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Russell Brand's definitely high on the list. Um, Brene Brown. I yeah. want. Yeah. I want to get Theo Vaughn too. Theo Vaughn, man, I saw yeah. he made a comment funny as hell. on something the other day that was so triple X rated. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I don't know if I can have him. On. Yeah. <laughs> Minor Jack Harlow, like a hundred percent. I probably get sent his clip. I couldn't tell you how many times a week where he's uh, talking about not drinking because he's mm-hmm. head down, focused on god, his grinding, gotta get grinding. Him. And Jennifer Gardner, I think, like has had a really cool story yeah. Yeah. with um sobriety adele like mm-hmm. i know i'm shooting big no here, that's what we're, we're shooting but don't we're a big know, deal don't you know her let's do the why do you care patrick balsley why do you care what makes you assume that i do no <laughs> <laughs> ever since i was little i've always had this propensity to pay very close attention to other people's affect mm. And I've seen enough human suffering in my lifetime to affect me in a way that motivates me to use whatever I can mm-hmm. to um, ameliorate that in some capacity. And I feel like because of my own story, that would probably be the most effective way to do that is in that space. And this is encompassed in that, so mm. that's why. Because I, like I have to, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I have to care. I mean, I, I tell people that all the time when people ask me why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't, I can't. Can't not. Can't not care. There's nothing else I could do. Right. I think 
I mean, along similar lines, I there's so much to feel alone about in today's world, and it's so it's such an oxymoron with the amount of contact and the amount of ability and platforms that we have to create connection with other people that actually we are more disconnected than ever. Um, and I feel that a lot of times. And this is a topic that the more I got brave and shared about it, the less alone I felt. And the reality is the majority of us do deal with alcohol in some way, shape, or form in our lives. And to not be talking about it, it seems really crazy to me. And to be an expert mm. and know a lot about it and not share it also seems selfish. Um, and so I just really care about having that and being having that healing be in community and having it be accessible in ways that are completely um, free not having to be in a $200 um, therapy session and being able to have some sense of kind of community around that. I, I feel the same way about women's issues. I feel the same way about a lot of things that we're just not talking about. But this one happens to be my area of expertise, whether you agree or not. I care more about it now than I think when we started this podcast. I care a lot more about it now. I'm a lot more invested in now that I've seen the reward of having helped you know, even if it's one person DMing me, it's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Robbie? I don't have a real eloquent way of saying it other than it's, it's pretty personal. Um, and I think that's probably goes without saying and for all of us, but you know, I, I get angry a lot at just the state of our society and the state of human, the human condition and the human suffering and maybe angry is not the right word. Passionate. Could be the right word, would at least be more appropriate for this, but I do feel anger towards it sometimes because I just feel like it's so much of it is unnecessary uh, or maybe it is necessary. I don't know. But just when you step back and look at, yeah, unnecessary suffering and, and all the outside influences that create that, that seem unfair to me. Life is unfair. I, I, I got it. But there's a lot more that's unfair that doesn't necessarily need to be there. And I feel like there are these forces that are pushing it and blindsiding people and just creating all this stuff that like, you know, us three are on this, this other side of the table trying to, to help. I can echo what both of you said. I mean, specifically Patrick, where it's like, I've got this past and I've got these experiences and this call it wisdom that, is not going to go to waste. I didn't go through what I've gone through, whether it's my fault, my decisions, the cards I was dealt, doesn't matter. I experienced those things and there's going to be value in that. Yeah. What a better thing to undertake than making meaning out of suffering. Yeah. It's yeah. like the ultimate adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back to my favorite episodes. Yeah. This one. <gasps> Oh, oh I'm serious. Every single Piatriac. time that the three of us get in here or have time to talk together, just yeah. the three of us. Yeah, I think it's special. It's how the relationship started, right? So, mm -hmm. Patrick. Oh, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, so sweet. <laughs> the information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests, and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. 
For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit DilworthCenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.